0: Nobody knows me like you do, oh God. What a God. Because He knows us the way He does and still loves us. That's the amazing, amazing truth. In spite of what He knows. Sometimes the Holy Spirit calls an audible. Do you know what that is? Yeah. The men are nodding. It's when you change the plan on the spot comes from football I was doing some reflecting and studying and had some time to pray this afternoon late afternoon and the Holy Spirit called an audible said I'm changing your plans so I'm gonna go with what he's laying on my heart that last piece in this little mini-series you can get it, www.pmchurch.tv. there be a few others there in the archives as well. Oswald Chambers was the one who wrote, When God gives a vision, you must transact business along that line. And I'm, I'm, I'm in the middle of a five-week-old story right now. And so I'm going to... Pray with you and then just pick it right up where we are at Andrews University in the Pioneer Memorial Church as we speak. Let's pray first. Oh, Father, how true that is. There's nobody that knows us like you do, and you love us. We are not worthy of Calvary's outpouring. You have paid an infinite price. To win our minds, our hearts, our bodies, our all. But we cannot forget, as the theme of this camp meeting on the backdrop behind me reminds us, there's not only an outpouring that came at Calvary, there is to be one more outpouring at the end of time. Connect those two outpourings in these few moments together and pour out into us we humbly pray in Jesus name amen we just finished a school year at Andrews University Had a great school year another busy one and the reality of I've been on that campus now for for 30 years I'm gonna tell you very very much up front: I love that university I've given my life to it. I believe in it. If you trace it back, you can go Andrews University, Emmanuel Missionary College, Battle Creek College. It's Battle Creek College in a new location. That's what it is. And you know Battle Creek College. So it's been an honor, a humbling honor to serve there these past three decades. But after 30 years, a restlessness is bound to stir up. Your mind and your spirit, and you're saying, "God, what what else would you like to do?" Four weeks ago, four weeks ago, it's a Monday. We got a big church board meeting that night. We finished our staff meeting, and our youth pastor is in my office, Michael Gets, who preached for me today at Pioneer. I forget what what. Let us into conversation, but he stuck his head in the office, and we're talking. And somehow the conversation turns to uh, what is God going to do next? What could God do to raise the bar so high that nobody could say, "I have my fingerprints on that"? It was Daniel Burnham, the great Chicago architect, the World's Fair back at the turn of the century. You remember eight, 1890s, the Chicago World's Fair. Daniel Burnham, who made the statement. Make no small plans for they do not contain the magic to stir men's souls. When it comes to God, you need a God-sized vision, don't you? Amen. I mean, come on. Amen. We're standing in it. We're standing in a ministry that was raised up with a, because of a God-sized vision, aren't we? Isn't that, isn't that what this place is about? So Dan, uh, uh, so so uh, Michael and I are talking, and he says, "You know, Dwight, wouldn't it be something if there's some way we could turn this campus into missionaries who are reaching the lost right here?" And yeah, boy, wouldn't that be? And oh, good night. It's 20 minutes to the board meeting. He's gone, and a split second later, there's a knock at my door. Now our place, the offices are shut like Fort Knox because it's uh, it's 6:40 in the evening, and I'm thinking, who's at the door? So I I say, "Yo!" and Door opens, and in comes a a college kid. I said, what's up? He said, Pastor, I need to talk to you. I said, bad timing. I don't have time. I got a board meeting in 20 minutes, and I'm chairing the board. I said, what are you thinking about? He says, I've just been walking on this campus thinking, we need God to do something big at Andrews University. And boom, I'm thinking, Michael, I'm thinking, this kid named Jonathan? I said, what are you thinking? He says, well, you know what? He says, I think we ought to call for a day of special prayer on this campus. I said, Jonathan, we, we, we are four days till exam week. There's no way we can get the word out. Here's what let's do. I want you to find 12 friends, 12, 12 of your classmates, 12 of your peers, and you band together, the 13 of you, And you pray all this summer long that God will do a new thing at Andrews University. You just pray for God to do what He's already laid the burden on your heart to do. We knelt down and we had prayer. I just had prayer with Michael. Now Jonathan and I are having prayer. He walks out the door. It's 10 minutes to board meeting. Go to the board meeting. For our worship that night, we just shot right into this conversation. We had a very open board meeting, very candid conversation about life at Pioneer at and Andrews University had a season of, of earnest prayer the next week so that was exam week is the week that came next and then there's graduation the next week it's a Monday and I'm meeting with our our, our campus one of our campus chaplains Jose Bourget who's on our staff at Pioneer great guy all our pastors. I'm so lucky. Five of our pastors, our senior leaders, are 32 and 33 years of age. And it's such an honor to work with a bunch of sharp, young pastors. Jose and I, because at Andrews University, the moment the graduation is over, you are immediately planning the new school year. You have no time to breathe. It's just, we got, three, we got uh, June, July, and it's, it's here. So Jose and I are talking. They'll bringing the TV producer, our, our media director, Nick Wolfer. He comes down. We're thinking, what can we do that's new? And it's just, you know, you can, you can change the wallpaper and the backdrop so many times and it's no longer new. And we're all sensing that. We're back in my office and Jose saying, you know, Dwight, I just had to interview for some uh, student chaplains. I'm telling you, he said, there is, just, there is a vacuum of moral leadership among the young. He said, I'm really concerned. I said, Jose, what would it look like if God, just, if God just poured out showers of blessing? He says, you know what I picture it? I picture if the Spirit got poured out on this place that students would be pulling off the sidewalks, pulling into dormitory rooms, pulling, pulling out of a classroom, huddled in prayer, praying all the time to, with each other. I said, wouldn't that be something? We finished our three-hour meeting, and... Uh, I hurry home because I have to. uh, The academy asked me to come over and and speak at the academy the next morning. Ten minute talk. Spend an hour and a half on that devotional, working an hour and a half on it. I'm through, I'm kneeling down and saying, okay, I'm in my little study. I said, okay, God, bless the devotional. And I heard a voice. Now, I didn't hear just a voice, but I heard a voice, as it were. And the voice said, nice devotional, Dwight, the wrong one. (laughs) I got up and just out loud, I said, you got to be kidding me. I just spent this evening getting ready. I went and sat back down, put out the same yellow pad, and then the, the same voice said, why don't you talk about what I'm talking to you about right now? Why don't you tell about Jonathan? Why don't you tell about raising the bar so high that only God could have His fingerprints on it? So I scribbled something out. Nah, this is, this is not be this is not going to be pretty at all. Get up early the next morning, go for my run, have worship, and I say, God, you're going to have to bless this. This is not much. I get up and I tell the students, you know, I had a little something different. I told the experience, this, this is what's on my heart. And for 10 minutes, I talked to them. I told them the story. I, talk, I, I said, you know what, you guys, Andrews Academy, you're the feeder to Andrews University. You're the next generation coming. What would happen if God would raise up a generation of moral leaders right here, right now, among you seniors, and you infiltrate that campus and you come as radical disciples of Jesus? And I'm kind of stumbling around. It's really, it's, it's, it's not very pretty at all, and I'm feeling it. But I knew I needed to make an appeal, and so I said, "Listen, would you be willing to, you seniors in particular, others as well, would you be willing to offer your life to God as, as a moral leader when you come to the university?" Kids started jumping up, jumping up, and, well, uh, they probably just, everybody stands around here anyway. I tell you, I'm feeling so bad about that devotional, because I'm used to preparing for a talk, you know, and I don't just walk up and start talking, that after it's over, I chat with a few kids just sitting right here, we just chit-chat, chit-chat, and I said, I'm out of here, I'm just leaving. I'm driving away, just slipping out, not talking to anybody. I'm driving away. I'm halfway home, right by Apple Valley Market, if you've been to Berrien Springs. And that same voice said to me, what in the world are you doing? You're supposed to be back there. Now is the time to be there. I turned right around in Apple Valley parking lot. I drove back. I said, okay. I walked back in, I said, okay, there was a senior sitting on the front row. I went and found that senior, pulled him out of study hall. I said, I got to talk to you right now. We went into the chapel, just the two of us. He said, you know something, Pastor, when you call for moral leaders, my heart just stirred up. Oh, I needed to hear that. My heart just stirred up. He says, I want to be that moral leader when I go to Andrews University next year. I said, good on you. Let's pray together. We prayed. Then I said, well, you know, as long as I'm here, the principal's door was open. I stuck my head in but Bob Overstreet, and I said, hey, Bob, you got a minute? He said, sit down. He said, I've been thinking about what you've been saying. And he opened up his heart. We began to talk. This idea of moral leadership, he said, Dwight, what would happen if that was Andrews Academy's gift to the university? Young moral leaders. He said, I want to I pledge every everything I can do to raise up that generation of moral leaders. We, we clasped hands together and prayed. Earnestly. I'm walking out and the Bible teacher's walking in. He said, hey, Dwight, that's something, huh? Kids stood. He said, I saw the kids. The usual, the, the usual ones stood, which is what I figured. But he, then he said, I was watching a young girl there. And I said, she will never stand for this appeal. And Dwight, she jumped to her feet. So I'm thinking, wait a minute. Maybe God is up to something. It's, 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 it's a Tuesday. I race back to work on the new miniseries that begins that Sabbath. I get back to that desk, same yellow pad is sitting there, and God is saying, You know what, Dwight, you're going to have to drop that miniseries you had in mind. And I want, you to, I want you to talk about a new thing. And just like that, with a pencil, began to scribble it down. I said, I've got to check to see if this verse is even in the Bible. I thought it was, you know, a new thing. Well, it's probably everywhere in the Bible. I went, I went, I pulled out my computer program. There's only one place, one place in the entire scripture that God makes this promise. That promise was embedded on that yellow pad. I called the girl up, our graphics designer who's on our team. I said, Rochelle, I got I got bad news because she had just sent me the new poster for the new series. I said, I have bad news. It's not gonna be that. She says, Dwight, I have 24 hours to turn it around. I said, God be with you. And she was so sweet. These are all young adults. She was so sweet. She said, all right, give give me me that 24 hours. Because it's the bulletin cover. It's the graphics for the television. It's the posters on campus. Everything comes out of that artwork. That Sabbath, when I stood up into the pulpit, we opened our Bibles together, and I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. I want you to go to Isaiah chapter 43, verse 19. I thought this verse was embedded all through Scripture. There's only one place. This is it. This is it. But for four weeks now, the Pioneer Memorial Church on the campus of Andrews University, we have been claiming a single promise for the new year. We're calling it a pre-season of prayer. You know, here's how... For 30 years past, here's how we did it. Okay, the new year's Whoa, the new year is next week. Folks, let's have a special prayer for the new year. Come on, let's have a special prayer. The new year is about to begin. That's what we've done for 30 years, and it suddenly has occurred to me, you know what, Dwight? You're about three months too, too late. You know, in all the major sports of, uh, of America, we're talking about Major League Baseball and football and hockey and basketball, they all have what they call a preseason. Isn't that right, fellas? A preseason. I'm not really big into sports, but I do know, I do know about preseasons. You know, what, you know what a preseason is? You play the games, but nothing counts. Isn't that right? You play the games. It's a warm-up. It's getting ready for the real thing in three months, two months, one month, one week. What would happen if we had a preseason of prayer? And by the way, what I'm talking about when I'm talking about this university that I love and this congregation that I pastor, I'm thinking about your congregation back at home. I'm thinking about where you go to church. I'm thinking this promise ought not to be only good for us, it ought to be perfect for you. You can take it back to your preacher. You say, Pastor, I've been thinking. God promises in Isaiah 43 19 a stunning promise. And I'm wondering if we ought to start claiming that promise here. You take it to your preacher. You can tell him where you got it from. Isaiah 43, verse 19. Isaiah 43, verse 19. Here it is in the New King James, God speaking. Behold, I will do a what? I will do a new thing. I will do a new thing. I am promising you, Israel, In your meltdown, in the mess you're in, I am standing before you as Almighty God and I am promising you I will do a new thing. You can trust me. We live in a world today where the communication cycle is three seconds long. Boom, and the headline is there. Boom, and another headline. And boom, and another. We live in a world where new has become jaded. New and improved. New and improved. New and improved. And it's never improved, but it's new. Have you noticed? We are jaded as a people, jaded by this concept of new. And yet God has the audacity to stand before us tonight with this theme plastered on the wall behind me, showers of blessings, because that's what he's talking about right here. Watch this. Isaiah forty-three nineteen. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. It will come, Dwight. Will you know it? Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beast of the field will honor me, verse 20, and the jackals and the ostriches, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink. Now, to give drink to whom? What does it say? I will give drink to my people, my chosen. Four times in two verses, God's talking about water. Four times. Rivers in the the wilderness, waters in the desert. Drink for my people. I will do a new thing. Whatever this new thing is, ladies and gentlemen, it has to do with water. It has something to do with water because the moment He promises a new thing, He says, I'm going to let water come out of that dry and barren land. I will do a new thing. There were no no chapters when when, uh, Isaiah wrote his book. We put them in centuries later, millennia later. So there was no break. It just kept going. And four breaths later, You come to Isaiah 44, 3. It's all a part of this passage. Isaiah 44, 3. Water, water, water. What do you mean, God, when you're talking about water? Read Isaiah 44, 3. For I will pour water... There it is again. I will pour water on her who is what? I will pour water on him who is what? On those who are what? Are thirsty and floods on the dry ground. Now, keep going. I will pour My Spirit on your your descendants and My blessing on your offspring." When God says, I'm gonna pour water in the desert and rivers in the wilderness, what's He talking about? What's He talking about? He's talking about the Holy Spirit, is He not? Dry and barren. There is no more fitting and appropriate description of human civilization than those words dry and barren tonight. We are as dry as the dead desert. I will pour water on those who are thirsty. Floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your... Okay, how many here have children? Put your hand up if you have children. Come on. Don't be embarrassed. I know you're a little hesitant. Oh, well, maybe they'll know who they are. Don't worry about it. Just put your hand up. Okay, keep your hand up. Come on, come on. How many here have children? How many here have grandchildren? How many here have grandchildren? Do you have seed? Do you have offspring? Do you have descendants? Are they secure in the Lord? Whenever I go and uh, meet with a team of pastors... I love love hanging around pastors. It's been my life. The moment we, we diverge, we diverge from the intended topic and we talk about children, I'm telling you, it's like a symphony of handkerchiefs. They just start coming out. People start pulling them out. They're starting to dab their eyes. They're starting to sniffle. Why? Because our children are not only our greatest joy they are our deepest heartache for all of us the pastors are no different than you and you are no different than us our children thank God for every one of them that's saved tonight thank God for every one of them that that loves Jesus tonight but please God for all those who don't love you and who are not saved tonight that is an amazing promise God says, I will pour out My Spirit on your descendants and My blessing on your offspring. I tell you what, even if you didn't belong to a church, even if you're just a, a lone ranger back where you came from and you have no congregation to belong to, and I, I'm very sorry for you if you don't have a church to belong to, it's the, it is God's, God's body on earth. I know the head is Christ; is the head, but the church is the body. Even if you had no church to belong to, nobody for whom to claim Isaiah 43, 19 and Isaiah 44, verse 3. No church, but if you have children, you have a reason tonight, madam, you have a reason tonight, sir, to go to your knees, put your finger on this text and say, God, I am begging you, do, please, do a new thing. Please, I beg of you. After I shared that first teaching at Pioneer, a buddy of mine, Gary Burns, who uh, is communication director for the Lake Union uh, Conference of Seventh-day Adventists, was sitting in the audience, <coughs> excuse me, sitting in the audience, so he gets his little, he, he's Mr. Texter, so he gets his little, <laughs> I'm amazed that you people know how to text, isn't that something? And you're probably amazed that I know how to do it, too. Well, I, I really don't, so anyway. But anyway, Gary gets, sends me a little text, he says, Dwight, Dwight, Dwight. Three ingredients. Okay, this is a very short text. It reads like this. Three ingredients for transformational revival. Because that's what that's talking about. When God's talking about pouring out out floods on the dry ground, that's revival. Do you know what a revival is? A revival is a resurrection. That which is dead is brought back to life. So, when our world church president is going around the world and saying, we need to pray for revival, what he's saying is, we are in a heap of trouble. Our church is in a heap of trouble, and he's right. Because the church has you in it and me in it. That's why. Amen. Amen. We're always thinking about the heap of trouble as our neighbor across the pew. Well, that's the... Uh, yeah, well, we, we are in a heap of trouble. Look at that. Whew. You know my friend Ron Cluzet? Do you know Ron Cluzet? He's written a book, great book. Our staff just finished reading it for worships all this last year. You can get the book after sundown in the ABC tonight. Title of the book, Adventism's Greatest Need The Outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Adventism's Greatest Need. In that book, Ron offers this diagnosis of the community of faith I love. Admittedly, in the vast areas of the Western world, we are a church in decline. True or false? It's true. Our preoccupation for the things of the world and our searing blindness to our true condition have made us, who have talent, resources, and much history in Jesus, a puny spiritual people. We really are terminally ill, but little do we know it. We have been medicating for so long that we don't know what health is like anymore. What we desperately need is a double dose of spiritual aid, a revelation of the character of Christ, and a thorough baptism of the Holy Spirit end quote. We have been self-medicating. Americans are good at self-medication. Why do you think they advertise so much medicine in the evening during the news hour? They're targeting this generation. Buy, ask, ask for it by name the next time you see your doc. We are self-medicators. We have self-medicated ourselves in the church. We have self-medicated ourselves by affluence. We have so much now, it's almost embarrassing. It would be embarrassing to bump into Peter, Paul, John, James, and the lot. If they saw our parking lot, if they saw our parking lot, they'd say, You guys are still here. You have instant communication, you have text messaging, you have emailing, you have live video. You can talk to the whole world simultaneously and you're still here. We have been self-medicating ourselves. We are a puny people spiritually. We need for God to do a new thing in our midst. If He does not do a new thing, it's over. It is over. And God will wait as long as it takes to finally raise up a generation. He's not in a rush. He will not hurry through his end game. He will put it off as long as necessary because he never fails. He'll take as much time as he needs. He will win. He will win. The question is, will we win with him or will he win without us? I will do a new thing boy that's what we need we need it in the Pioneer Memorial Church where I serve we need it in the church where you worship we need a new thing so Gary sends me this text message three keys to transformational revival now he picks the three words and he puts them there in this little text message I don't know if he picked them in some certain Order, but I can tell you that by their first letters they spell a word, and I'm going to give the word to you because you will never forget these three words. I predict once you lock them in. The the letters were D and the word U and the word E in the word D U E. That was right after that opening installment of this little three-part miniseries that's now on our website. D-U-E. For the last three weeks, I've been brooding over D-U-E and the three words. Could it be that these three words are long overdue? They're past due. D-U-E. You say, I come on, come on, come on. Quit playing games. What's the D-U-E? I was hoping you'd ask. <laughs> D. Desperation. Ingredients for revival? D. Desperation. I am desperate. We are are lost unless you intervene. Transformational revival. Ingredient number one: desperation. You, urgency. Desperation, urgency, urgent. God, you can't wait. If you wait, I'm gone. We'll lose this generation. D, desperation. You, what was you again? Urgency. E, what was E again? Expectancy, expectancy. Just write those three down. D U E. Desperation, urgency, expectancy. You know what kind of praying that is? Right here in Isaiah, I found it. Gary sends me this, uh, this text message and look at this. Watch this. Oh, did you know these verses were in your Bible? Just turn a few pages over. Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 62. Isaiah 62, take a look at this. Isn't this something? Talking about desperation, urgency, and expectancy. God is calling for it right here. He says, I will do a new thing. I will pour pour water upon him, upon her, upon them who are thirsty. I will pour floods floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. I'll do a new thing. But you have to ask me, You have to ask me. He said, that that, that is really mean of God. I mean, come on, God, just do it. Don't sit around and wait for us to have a preseason of prayer. Just do what you got to do. No, he said, I'm not going to do what I got to do, because if I do what I should do, and you're not praying, it will spoil on the vine just like that. You ask me. I'm going to honor your free choice. Do you want your congregation? Do you want that congregation to experience something it never has before? Do you want a new thing? Ask me. Ask me. And that's what he's saying right here. This is Isaiah 62, verse 6. I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. By the way, Jerusalem, or Zion, is what God calls the church in the Old Testament. What God calls the church in the New Testament is ecclesia, which is our... We we call it church. It means the called-out ones, the chosen ones. So, what God is saying about Jerusalem, He's talking about the church. What does He say here? Look at that again. I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. Do you know who these watchmen are? I'm going to tell you who they are in advance. You know who these watchmen are? We have them. We have them at the Pioneer Memorial Church, and I thank God for every one of them. You have them in your congregation. You may be one of them. They are oftentimes anonymous. They are unrecognized and usually unrewarded publicly. But the watchmen, these sentinels on the walls of your church back at home, are the men and women and young adults and some teenagers now who have felt the call of God to privately intercede for your congregation. They are praying. There's no big show. There's no big fanfare. They don't get up on Sabbaths and say, By the way, I just wanted you to know I've been praying all this week. Not a word. They're the watchmen. They are the first degree of intercessors. They are the spiritual advance guard. And God has them in every church. You may be one. God says, I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. These are the people who keep reading. They shall never hold their peace. What's that next line? Day or night. They shall never hold their peace day or night. You... Period. They don't hold their peace. These are the private intercessors of the first degree who spend hours in prayer. I've been privileged to know a handful of human beings like that. I know them by name, I know them by practice. I know that whenever I go somewhere, whenever I'm in deep need, they will be the first people I privately call and say, would you please pray for this? They want no reward, they seek no recognition, but they are God's gift to the church. I have watchmen on these walls who give. Who who? How does it put it? They never hold their peace day or night. The problem of even mentioning them is that you and I automatically might defer our prayer responsibilities to them. Well, good. I'm glad God's got watchmen on the walls. You guys keep at it, will you? I have other things I need to be doing. We cannot defer. We cannot default our prayer duty to them. No, 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 no. That's why God goes on. Look at this. He says, "Look, I have these watchmen. They never hold their peace day or night. Now you, you who make mention of the Lord, do you ever make mention of the Lord?" And you're praying, do you make mention of the Lord? But of course you do. He's talking to you and me now. You who make mention of the Lord do not keep silent either and give him... What's that next? couple? Give him no rest till he establishes, until he makes Jerusalem, the church, a praise in the earth. In other words, you give me no rest until I revive the church. You stay on me. I found this in, a, in, in the New Living Translation. And they were telling me at, uh, at this prison ministry early this morning that they use the New Living because it's easier for the prisoners to understand sometimes. Let me read this to you so you can just follow it whatever translation you have. But here's the New Living. O Jerusalem, I have posted watchmen on your walls and they will pray to the Lord day and night for the fulfillment of His promises. Now, to the rest of us. Take no rest... All you who pray, give the Lord no rest until He makes Jerusalem the object of His praise. Did we talk about desperation, urgency, and expectancy? Did we already talked about that? That's what's happening here. Give me no rest. In fact, the new voice translation just came out this last year. Let me share this with you. I like this, this rather free rendition. Tirelessly pester God. <laughs> Do you know what it means to pester somebody? What's it mean? Tell me what it means to pester somebody. Huh? Do what? needle them nag It's sound experience <laughs> pester what does it mean to pester nag nag, nag 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 god says hey hey pester me pester me give me no rest until i revive the church on earth desperation help me out what's this d what's this u what's this e Long overdue, this this prayer experience that God is calling for, long overdue. Take no rest. Give me no rest. Pester me until until I do a new thing, until I pour waters on those who are thirsty. Floods on dry ground and my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. Pester me. Stay after me. A friend of mine gave me a book last week. I was reading it this afternoon, too. Boy, the book has just stirred up my soul. And that's why the Spirit said, Dwight, you better just do business where... transact business where I'm working on you right now. The title of the book is The Circle Maker. It's written by Mark Batterson. Listen to this. Desperate times... Oh, that fits our word, desperation, doesn't it? Desperate times call for desperate measures. By the way, if you go on our website, you get all these studies. That's all I'm working off of. Got no notes up here. It's just the study guides. They're all there at our website, www.pmchurch.tv. Desperate times call for desperate measures, and there is no more desperate act than praying hard. Not praying light. Praying hard. There comes a moment when you need to throw caution to the wind and draw a circle in the sand. There comes a moment when you need to defy protocol, drop to your knees, and pray for the impossible. Would it be impossible for God to revive the church in North America? How about just the church in America, period? It almost feels like it would be impossible now. Desperate times call for desperate measures. Draw a circle in the sand. The book is based... On an intertestamental story, true story that Josephus tells us about, between Malachi and Matthew, you know, there's still the history of, of, of the Jews, and there was, a, there was a prophet named Hani, H-O-N-I. The land was under a, a blazing drought. One day Hani walked out with all the people watching him, and he drew a circle in the sand, and he says, God, I'm stepping into this circle... And I am not leaving this circle until you answer this prayer send rain. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what Isaiah 62, verses 6 and 7 is all about. Give me no rest, pester me until I pour out the windows of heaven and the rain of the Spirit. There comes a moment when you need to defy protocol, drop to your knees and pray for the impossible. There comes a moment when you need to muster every ounce of faith you have and call down rain from heaven. Do you know that that phrase showers of blessings? Do you know that that phrase is a direct quote from the book of Ezekiel? God has promised showers of blessings. That isn't some hymn writer's little cute, nifty phrase. That is a direct quote from Ezekiel. I will give you showers of blessing. But you must ask. You must ask. Ellen White, let me share this with you. This is Christ's Object Lessons. You got to jot this page number down. This is the dynamite, page 147, that little classic on the parables of Jesus. Notice how it opens up. These are all there. At the, uh, you get the study guide. You have it. Plead. Plead. That's one of those desperation, urgency, expectancy words, isn't it? Plead. She didn't say ask. She says, plead with me. Plead for the Holy Spirit. God stands back of every promise He has made. I suppose that would include Isaiah 43, 19 and Isaiah 44, 3, wouldn't it? I think so. With your Bible in your hands, with your Bible in your hands, you say, I have done as thou hast said, I present thy promise, ask and it shall be given you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you, when with earnestness and intensity. What was that D-U-E? What's the D again? What's the U again? What's the E again? That's what what this quotation is talking about, with earnestness and intensity. I tell you what, a quickie little prayer will not save a single child of God. You want to save the young in your church? You want to save the young in your family? It won't happen with a little quickie little... Oh, by the way, God, bless my grandchildren and save them. I got stuff to do. Goodbye. No child will get saved with a quickie little prayer. Oh, well, they said we ought to be praying. With an intensity and earnestness, D-U-E, long overdue, with an intensity and earnestness, when with earnestness and intensity we breathe a prayer in the name of Christ, there is in that very... Oh, I love this. There is in that very intensity a pledge from God that He is about to answer our prayer exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Now, I want you to listen to me carefully. Listen, listen, listen. Sometimes when you pray, does it happen to you, too? You you are so intense into that prayer that you actually start to weep. Does that ever happen to you? Yeah, of course it does. What the author is saying is when your prayer reaches that level, desperation, urgency, and expectancy... And it wells up within you and your eyes begin to tear. That very intensity is God's pledge, girl. Boy, I'm going to do. I'm going to answer your prayer. The very intensity is God's way of saying, connect. I hear you. I hear you isn't that something Wow desperation urgency expectancy desperate times call for desperate measures ladies and gentlemen if the Spirit isn't poured out on the church in the United States Laodicea is dead it's over Calvary was the beginning of an outpouring that manifested itself in Pentecost, didn't it? Pentecost, 50 days after the cross, 50 days later, 10 days of which were preceded, preceding 10 days preparing for Pentecost. Calvary is always connected with an outpouring. It's not a mistake that we went to the cross. Our hearts have to be broken there. We have to ask forgiveness. We have to make some things right. We have to take down a few walls. We cannot leave these walls up. God will not bless a fractured community. We can't be television stations competing with each other. We cannot. God says, I'm not going to bless you. I'll give you a modicum of blessing. Desperate times call for desperate measures. And it may mean picking up the phone. Somebody that you've been alienated with picking up that phone and saying, It's over. I want to be bonded with you. Whatever you do, I wish to do. Your mission is my mission. Your dream is my dream. We can't leave these walls up. Nor can we leave the walls up that separate us as races. God will never revive a church with racial walls. Never, never, never. He will not revive a church that is racially segregated, separate but equal. He will not revive a church. You can say all you want. Well, he just bless us both separately. He won't bless you both at all. Not with that kind of attitude. The wall has to come down. It has to come down. There'll never be a revival without it. You can pray to your blue in the face for a revival, but if you're leaving a wall up and you know it's a wall between you and that brother, you and that sister, you and that organization, you and that race, there will never be a revival for you. I can't, I can't get water through here. In the, the, you want floods on the dry ground? You've damned the whole place up. I don't have little pockets that I rain on. I want to rain on the entire church. Ladies and gentlemen, the point is, God is ready to do a new thing. It's time we ask Him to do a new thing. Desperation. Urgency. Expectancy. Expectancy. Behold, I will do a new thing. I will pour water on him, on her who is thirsty. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. We end with the words of Jesus who must have had Isaiah 44 in mind when He spoke these words. We'll end with Jesus' words. Red-letter words, if you have a red-letter Bible, the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, chapter 37. On the great Feast of Tabernacles, the very last day, Jesus, who's been incognito, stands up and, with this clarion trumpet voice, cries out, words we need to hear tonight. This is John chapter 7, John chapter 7, verse 37, John seven thirty-seven, and on the last day, that great day of the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, if anyone thirsts, there it is, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me, let her come to me and drink. She who believes in me, he who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The same words in the Greek Old Testament are here in John's Gospel. The same linkage to Isaiah. The same wording. Out of their hearts will flow rivers of living water. But, verse 29, this he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Glorified is code language for Calvary. Glorified is code language for the cross. Ladies and gentlemen, I have great news for you tonight. The cross has already happened. 2,000 years ago, He has been glorified, and He's ready now. To a church that is thirsty, to a people that is pleading, He is ready now to pour out His Spirit. The question is, are you ready to ask? Are you desperate enough? Are you urgent enough? Do you expect that He can do what He has promised to do? Do you believe? Then we must ask. I'm going home early in the morning. Our preseason of prayer goes on. We are not going to quit praying. And if you don't want to pray for your home church, then I wish you'd pray for Andrews University and for, for Pioneer Memorial Church. You don't want to pray for your home church? That's your business. Then pray for mine. We need God to do a new thing. We desperately need God to do a new thing. Would you join me in that prayer? Would you be willing to say, Hey, listen, Dwight, I'm willing. You can count me in. I'll be one of those sentinels. I'm going home as a watchman, a watchwoman. I will be on the walls and I will give God no rest until He pours out His Spirit on my church. Would you be willing to be one of those? Would you stand to your feet and say, All right, God, you can count me in. I will do this by Your grace. I will do this by Your grace. I will do this by Your grace. Oh, God, there's nothing special in us. i tell you what's the truth about us, Father, is we're, we're, we're desperate we are urgent we believe you can do what you've promised to do we plead, we plead for the showers of blessing do something in North America, do something in the United States, do something in my home church, dear God do something among us as a people don't leave us the same, don't let us go home the same tonight don't let us go home the same Keep us asking and pleading and asking and pleading until the day the floodgates of heaven are thrown wide and the floods of Christ Jesus himself are poured out upon a dry and dusty world. Please, dear God, begin with these who stand before you. Honor him. Honor her. Don't let us forget we have made this pledge. Keep us praying until Jesus comes, I pray.